Well, it's great to be here tonight. Thank you for coming, turning up on this lovely, warm summer's evening. And um, so I'd like to start with the reading for tonight, which is in Luke chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And Luke chapter 16, verse 19, and the following verses. Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. So, just a sorry person, I expect. So. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there, longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them, so they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them, your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. What an incredible parable that uh, Jesus is telling us. And if you wish, he invites us really to look through a window into eternity. And that's quite extraordinary, you know, because we live in this reality. It's hot today outside. You feel very physically like your body, you know, it's quite heavy to walk up the hill. You breathe a little heavier if you're my age, <laughs> probably, you know, sort of getting up Pewley Hill or someplace. You know, you don't feel as energetic as... So you, you just realize you're very earthbound, you're, you're a creature, and you, you feel it. But there's a lot more to this world and beyond than we sometimes can sense and touch and see and get into. And Jesus is kind of opening the curtain and inviting us to look beyond. And he's telling us a little bit about what, or how our lives matter and each action and what we do and how we treat each other, and that that actually has an effect on uh, a greater reality than just this moment. And he's talking about a certain rich man, a nameless rich man, some of the many rich people, the people who've got it together, the 
folks who've got degrees and maybe got a good job and um, bought a house and raised a family and basically cared for, for themselves and, and their surroundings. And there's nothing wrong with that inherently in this story itself. And it's not even mentioned of, you know, how many interesting relationships he's got. But just one relationship is pointed out. And it's actually a named person here. There's a poor guy living just by the gate of this man's house. Probably one of those uh, ornamental iron gates that open when he's driving up the driveway. And, you know, and there he sits, Lazarus. And you know, Lazarus actually means something. Often these names mean something. And this name means God helps. So every time this guy leaves his house, he sees a guy named God helps. But he's ignoring him. And to me, that speaks volumes about the way that we can actually live our lives, not thinking about God's help and the resources available through God. It's incredible what God has in store for us and for those who seek him. And you know, you and I aren't created just to live by ourselves, but we are created to live in connection with the Father in heaven. And he wants us to connect with him and to agree with him and to resemble him. And this is why uh, Paul puts it in terms like this, you know, Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of his character to be seen in this world and in this realm. So it's like you're God's shopping window for everyone else. So any person that meets you and you understanding Christ lives inside of you has a chance to get something of God's character in that moment. And it's so exciting to think about, you know, wherever you go, you're bringing God's kingdom, you're bringing Christ with you. And that's something fabulous. And again here, you know, we see there's a man and his decisions will make a difference to his life. So during this life, he doesn't notice anything because he's rich and he's excited and he li loves life and he goes through it. But then at some point, the table turns and he realizes, hang on a minute, I was thinking I'm included in life. I was thinking I've got it all. And this guy outside my gate was excluded from my sort of life. And now I realize after I've gone and died that I'm the excluded one that I excluded myself from the life. And we hear here that Lazarus has gone straight into the bosom of Abraham, it says there in the Greek. So the bosom of Abraham is a picture of the paradise. So paradise is speaking and saying, look here, you know, your life tells me that you've distanced yourself from paradise. You've distanced yourself from life itself. And now you're feeling the reality of it. For once, you actually see clearly what your life has brought you and what you've done. So that sets this rich man into panic a little bit and kind of, you know, oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? <laughs> you know, I'm finding myself at the wrong side of the chasm. And uh, I, I realize that this is, life is all about exclusion and inclusion, exclusion, inclusion. Am I in? Am I out? And I thought life taught me, you know, compete with everybody else, push the others aside to be included. You've got to be in the game. You've got to get the titles. You've got to get the right business card to be right in there. And then you're included. And now I find I've done all this and I find myself excluded of life itself. He's clutching at straws at this moment. 
and saying, please, Father Abraham, do something. <laughs> you know, please send him, cool, cool my state, you know, it's getting too hot here. This is disastrous. And he realizes sin, meaning missing the target. He's completely missed the goal. He's, he's, his life has missed it. Ted Peters writes, sin comes in many forms. For example, anxiety, the fear of loss, and especially the fear of losing ourselves and ultimately in death. And you can see it, that the rich man was in his house so afraid to engage with this person by his gate because what would happen if he would invite him into his house? Well, it would certainly change his daily routine. It would change maybe the amount that he has in his pocket. It might actually influence his whole lifestyle and the, the way that he's going to orientate his life. Maybe he has to share his home with this person for a longer period of time. Maybe he has to spend time with someone that isn't on his level. Maybe he suddenly has to rearrange himself, and that would be a death. And he isn't sure whether it's worth dying that death. We experience anxiety as the sting of death in our lives and combat it with illusions of immorality. See, immorality is just a, a, a kind of outliving of the fear of dying, it's grasping for life wherever we can. Bit of lust here, bit of uh, you know, more money there, bit of too much power over there. In itself, these things aren't bad things, but they're terrible masters if they have ruled over your life. And if you're seeking life within those things, then you find yourself on the wrong side of the chasm one day and realize how empty that is, you know. So, he wants to deny death. That's basically the rich man's mantra. I don't want to die. So I built my kingdom, I built my gate high. I don't want anyone to enter into my space that I might have to change and, and welcome them in. They might change me, who knows? What great amount of fear. But to deny death is to deny that we have limitations, that our abilities and even our existence has boundaries. Don't really want to you know, own up to the fact that we have limits and therefore, we keep those that have clearly limitations out of our lives, the unintelligent, you know, the ones that just didn't make it, the ones that are not educated and maybe don't behave so well, the ones that smell. So we build our fences. The temptation to be like God is rooted here in our unwillingness simply to be human how hard it is for us to actually confess to our humanity and to acknowledge in the person that is weak that they have something to add to our lives and something to actually teach us. Can you imagine somebody who's uh, unprofessional, somebody who is impaired, somebody maybe who is mentally challenged, being able to add something to your well-structured life? actually able to add something to your life's quality, maybe even to give you life. Maybe this is what Jesus means when he says, invite those who do not invite you back. <laughs> Just make a point of throwing parties for people who, who don't have the money even to, to invite you back, rather than just inviting those who 
you can be sure that they're going to lay on a feast for you later on at some stage. So the kingdom of God is, oh man, it's so powerful. Jesus is bringing in such a, a strong teaching here just about exclusion and inclusion. And Paul talks about this very clearly. He shares good news. And the good news is this. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. And he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without single fault. This is the good news. Jesus is proclaiming that you are included, no matter what. No matter what your education is, no matter what your achievements are, no matter what your background is, what you've done, where you've failed, you are included. The question is, will you participate in that inclusion? And will you participate to the extent that you will include others? And what this rich guy hasn't realized is, in fact, that... A life of repentance, of thinking differently, of thinking like Christ does, means that he actually has to open his gate to all sorts of characters, to make himself vulnerable, to receive people that are not like him. That relationship, in fact, matters. And the only thing you take into heaven with you is, in fact, relationship. Nothing else goes with you. Not the Audi, not the Mercedes. <laughs> You know, not the latest gadgets. That's all left behind. But what comes with you is how we treat each other. And you realize in heaven the way that you've distanced yourself either from that relationship or whether you've actually participated in that redemptive relationship that Jesus, where he says, well, I've, I've gone and nailed the long list of accusations that stand against you that you don't even know about. I've nailed it to the tree, and you're free. And I want you to be free from the fear of death to do the same thing for everyone else. And that's powerful. Paul goes even further. He says, since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven and not the things of earth, the earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Reality, and this is something we have to get used to, is with Christ in heaven. So our, our mind... You know, you're allowed to have your, your head in the clouds and your feet still on, on the ground. And what it means is sometimes people might look at you and they might say, you know, you're out of your mind and you can say yes and amen to that statement, you know, because you find yourself thinking like Christ does. 
And what does that thinking look like? Paul makes it very graphic and very clear. He says you've got to put off stuff and you've got to put on things. So, you know, if you, if you come to Jesus and, and you participate in this redemptive life, then some old things have to go. And he says, so put to death the, th the sinful earthly things lurking within you. So don't be surprised that there's such things lurking inside of you. You know, don't wake up one morning and think, oh, I thought I'd be over this by now. You know, just realize this is not you anymore. And that's why you put it off. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. And now comes the list. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to, the, uh, to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off the old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, rich or poor, educated or uneducated. You can expand the list. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. So you see, putting off the old, putting on the new, and that means you're participating in the life of Christ. And that stops a chasm from appearing between, uh, you know, the, the life with God and the life without him. I want to introduce you to a person that exemplifies a life like, like this for me very much. And this guy, he, um, he's well in his 80s now, and he's a French-Canadian, and he grew up very academic, very smart, uh, went to the Navy, had his naval career, then studied philosophy, uh, Aristotle. He wrote a book on happiness in Aristotle um, and did his doctorate in that, and he taught in numerous universities. Uh, you know, but one day... He walked into a mental asylum to visit uh, the mentally impaired in a, in a town near Paris. And he walks in there and he sees people almost being put away from society, hidden away. These were the people that others were ashamed of, the families were ashamed of. They needed to go into an institution so that nobody would see them. And in the institution, they weren't really living, they were existing. Uh, they were just being fed, but left to their own devices. And often, screaming out in their pain, and uh, rocking forwards and backwards, totally deranged and lost. And uh, he was going in there and starting to converse and trying to converse with a couple of guys there. And at the end... He said, you know, what do you want? And these two men were saying to him, we want to live with you. Get us out of here. And so he made a decision. And he decided, okay, well, if, if I invite these people from this institution, I have no idea about medical care. I don't know how to look after such 
severe disability, I do not even know whether that's legal, whether I'm allowed to do that sort of thing. I have no idea what I'm doing here. And he would say of himself, with no idea what I was doing, I was inviting them to come and live with me. And he opened his home, small house south of Paris in a small village of Trosley, and uh, started living with two men with severely dis severe disability. And that changed his life forever. Uh, by now there are about, I don't know, let me see, I've written it down. Um, 152 communities like that, all in, in 37 countries, and 1,450 faith and light communities in 83 countries, who are for um, the family and relatives of people with disabilities. So he's got two communities going. One is L'Arche, and one is Faith, faith and Light. And the man I'm talking about is Jean Vanier, and I'm just showing you a small, small video um, of a film they've done about him and his work. Sound? with no plan was crazy. The idea of rejecting all authority and starting to live together. I knew nothing about this world of people with disability. As you laugh together, barriers drop. You may fly like an eagle, but he'll find you walking tall with justice in his gun. a human being is it the power if it's power then we're going to kill each other you see the wise and powerful lead us to ideologies whereas the weak are in the dirt they're not seeking power they're seeking friendship it's a message for all of us it's about all of us Can you discover the kingdom of God there? You know, just very simple. Just one man's decision to open his heart. He writes, the excluded, I believe, live certain values that we all need to discover and to live ourselves before we can become truly human. What a statement. Do you think you can 
start seeing people like that, that you're looking at people that you wouldn't normally look up to or maybe think even they're inferior to you, inverted commas, and say, hang on a minute, with, without my relationship and without listening and without entering and giving you space, I might actually lose out on life rather than gain it from someplace else. It is not just a question of performing good deeds for those who are excluded, but of being open and vulnerable to them in order to receive the life that they can offer. It is to become their friends. I, I recommend this book here called Becoming Human. This is one of his lectures. Um, and it's, it's an extraordinary book on this subject. And in it he writes, fear is at the root of all forms of exclusion, just as trust is the root of all forms of inclusion. And guess what God is calling his people to? To trust. He says, have faith. And faith looks like something. Faith looks like you're making yourself vulnerable to others because you trust that they can contribute something. Faith doesn't grasp, faith receives. There's a huge difference. And I think God loves us so much that he's inviting us to become receiving children again. Children can teach us so much. Uh, they learn also very quickly from our examples, and that's sometimes troublesome. <laughs> but I think to look at them and see how they expect food on the table because they trust that you put it there every day, think of that. And, you know, don't be rushed through life, running over people just because you need to be at the next appointment and missing out on an encounter that maybe hold, holds you up for a while, but maybe there's something to be discovered of life. You never find Jesus rushing through, even though he knows he's got sometimes a clear goal, but he, he can be stopped when the blinds are calling out and saying, stop, stop. And the others try to shut them up, and he comes along. And he looks in their eyes, and he's asking, what would you like? What can I do for you? The Jesus question. And faith immediately starts to be sparked, and trust flying forwards and backwards. Because Jesus is investing trust, and so are the blind. And I wish that today we can see a little bit better of what Jesus is showing us in this incredible window that he's opening for us, like a vista into the kingdom. I sometimes think, you know, the life between this physical life and the life we're going into in eternity, I think from Jesus' point of view, is so thin, this wall. It can be here one minute and over there the next. <laughs> it can go so quickly. And this is not a threat of any kind, because for God, this, this is not a, a fearsome thing. But I think a much more fearsome thing is, is if we don't live in the reality of that now. If we don't realize, you know, that stuff we're doing here to one another and with one another actually has an effect, an internal effect. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about. And he's inviting us to come and live the included life, to participate in inclusion, to receive the good news that he has done everything so that we can participate and be free, but also to be welcoming and include others. Amen.
Can I pray for a second before I hand over? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us glimpses into the heavenly realms. And I thank you, Lord, that this parable is, is just so touching because it, it shows so much of, of our human dilemma, how we can get caught up in, in the daily humdrum of grabbing life where we can and missing it as it's parked right in front of our gate. And Lord, I really pray that you help us to see with your eyes, Jesus, to see the inclusion that you've worked on the cross 2,000 years ago and that is there for us for the taking. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to participate every day in our relationships, Father, to flee the evil stuff and to run into life with you. God, I pray that where we are tempted and where we are grasped by, by the wrong things, that you help us to put things off, these weights that try to hold us back. And I pray that you make us realize that this life matters. The way we treat one another matters. And Lord, I pray that you give us courage to be people like Jean and, and follow his example and to make ourselves vulnerable and to take steps one at a time, that includes everyone. Lord, I pray that you strengthen our faith, help us to trust, and make us receivers of life. Amen.